Following the unprecedented spread of avian influenza across the UK and Europe, mandatory housing measures were brought in for all bird keepers in England on November the 7th, 2022. Five months later, our birds are finally allowed back outside again, as of Tuesday this week, but while the risk of bird flu may have reduced, bird keepers are encouraged to remain vigilant. I'm Katie Fallon, livestock reporter at the Farmer's Guardian, and on this week's episode of Over the Farm Gate, I'm joined by Christine Middlemas, the UK's Chief Veterinary Officer, to discuss why the measures have been lifted now and the importance of biosecurity going forwards. So, Christine, thank you for speaking with me today. Um, Now, the scale of bird flu across both the UK and Europe has been unprecedented over recent years, and with over... 330 cases recorded since October 21. It's really been quite a devastating time for for many involved in the poultry industry. Could you just give us a, an overview of why why these outbreaks have been worse than previous years and what the impacts of these have had on producers and the industry as a whole? Um, yes, so it's been quite an unprecedented situation, as you say, Katie. Um, and this outbreak started um, in Europe with us in back in October 2021, where migratory returning migratory birds brought H5N1. This is a very what we call fit virus. It's very robust, so it's dominant against the other serotypes. It's very infectious. It takes only a little amount of virus to create infection, and it lasts in the environment well. Um, so it got into our own wild birds, um, as well as our kept birds. Mm-hmm. And from then it went into our seabirds. And as they congregated in their breeding populations um, this time last year, um, they, they had the infection and it spread amongst them. And that allowed it to oversummer. And that's unique. That is the first time across Europe we have had um, a serotype of avian flu stay with us with ongoing, though a low level, but ongoing outbreaks over the summer. Then as we came into the autumn and birds started moving around, seabirds um, infected what we call the bridging species who brought it back on inland. We saw in the East Anglia area where they came back to these large number of infections and kept um, birds there. So it, it's a combination of the virus uh, robustness mm-hmm. um, and the over summering um, that happened that has made it such a unique situation. And as a result of that, has this been the longest housing order that has been placed on bird keepers in the UK? Um, so we should be clear, it's not the whole of the UK that's been housed. Um, there were uh, different measures in different administrations because the risk was different in a way, um, not in a way it infects our poultry, but the, the types of birds that were infected um, yeah. and where they were located. Mm-hmm. Um, and we brought those in um, at different times. Um, but we are, as the risk level has reduced on a... GB basis are therefore lifting on a G basis, GB basis. Um, and certainly in England, it will be um, the longest one we've had in place. Um, and of course, we went earlier in East Anglia. So for them particularly, it's been a very long period to mm-hmm. have it in place. So the birds are allowed back outside as of Tuesday this week. Free range hens can now go back onto the ranges and backyard flocks are allowed back outside. What is the current status of the virus and why is the decision being made now to lift these measures and let the birds back out? 
So our experts that look at the risk for us, it's it's them that give the advice on the risk levels. So we're using a strong evidence and science base and they look at that changing risk level every week. Um, they have advised us that the risk to birds now, kept birds this is, where biosecurity is really good, yeah. um, is now low and where biosecurity is poor is now medium. So that's back at the same levels when we introduced the housing measures. Um, And given um, housing uh, for birds, you know, in situations that are not set up for doing it, that's not how they normally manage their birds, they're outside, can have negative welfare impacts, then on balance we've decided that the time is right to lift the restrictions. The virus hasn't gone away, so there still is risk and people need to be aware of that and continue biosecurity precautions because the even influenza prevention zone remains in place. Mm-hmm. But we believe it, um, given that um, balance of um, bird welfare versus the um even influenza risk, we believe the time is now right to in England and we're also doing to lift restrictions. Yeah. And do you think as we go into, I mean, we're in spring now and into the summer months, hopefully the risk will continue to reduce? Is that the general the general feeling? Um, yes. So the migratory birds have uh, left us to return to the north of Russia and elsewhere for the summer. <clears throat> so that further reduces um, the risk. But it, as I said, we're not expecting it or we're watching to see anyway um, what will happen in the summer, particularly with our seabirds, um, how how likely it is for infection to be able to perpetuate over the summer. So yes, I expect the risk to continue to reduce, but I'm not expecting it to go to negligible. Yeah. So the strong measure, uh, the strong message um, in this for everybody is biosecurity and being absolutely scrupulous in that remains really, really important. And with that in mind, Christine, what are the main biosecurity measures that that bird keepers and producers really need to be implementing to continue to protect their flocks? So it's continuing to avoid any direct or indirect contact as far as possible with wild birds. Um, I know that sounds a bit silly when you say you're putting them outside, but there are still a lot of things that you can do. Particularly effective is if you're able to uh, fence off any um, waterways and water access that um, wild birds have um, that's on your property, because we know that um, water... Um, standing water brings in wild birds um, to that area and that is going to increase your risk. Um, and again, all the things that you or um, people um, working with you when you go to feed the birds outside, continue to make sure that you have clean boots, clean overalls and so on. Really important that where they are fed um, wild birds are not able to access that because inevitably that will attract them um, and bring them into where your uh, birds are. So it's all these ongoing things that reduces that potential contact between an infected wild bird and our kept birds. And I think a lot of um, commercial producers um, and businesses on a larger scale will be well aware of these measures and will hopefully be practicing them in, in any case. But I think it's important to acknowledge that these measures apply to the smaller backyard flocks just yeah, as much as absolutely. they do the commercial flocks. 
Um, yes, that's absolutely right. The measures, the avian influenza prevention zone applies to all kept birds, and that's whether you have one or two kept birds or you have hundreds of thousands of kept birds. The measures, those biosecurity measures in the avian influenza prevention zone continue to apply to everybody. Great. And producers that found themselves in a protection zone, where do they stand in terms of letting the birds outside? And just for our any of our listeners who may not be aware of a protection zone. Are you okay, Christine, just to give us a brief summary of what a protection zone means and what the next steps would be for those producers? Yeah, so that's a really good question because it is still, it remains um, different for people in protection zones until those are lifted. So a protection zone is put in place around um, a premise that I declare as being infected and it's a commercial um, type premise. Now, that, that means um, that, it, that it applies to um, legally if eggs are given away or sold at the farm gate, um, you know, even if you have a relatively small number of birds. So it applies to most of our outbreaks, but some we put in captive bird monitoring zones. And that's because we know that where there is any form of commercial activity, um, that there is the potential for lateral spread through those movement of eggs or birds or whatever off the premises. Mm-hmm. Um, so we put in a protection zone, which is three kilometres in diameter around that premise. Um, yeah. And in that protection zone, um, there is requirement for even additional measures um, when it's put in place. So to move birds, for example, you need to have a license. It's done on a risk assessment. You may or may not be granted that. So we recognise that in that area, in the protection zone, in that area around an infected premise, there's potentially increased risk from spread of virus um, from the infected premise. Now, this is this is generic legislation. It applies to all um, highly pathogenic even influenza types. It's not specific to this serotype, but it's a good, excellent precautionary measure to manage any potential for spread. So in the protection zone, housing is still required. It is still in place until that protection zone is lifted. Yeah. Um, there is approximately ongoing um, 30 protection zones. Now that changes potential to change every day so people should um, check constantly whether you're still in a zone or not Um, but there's about 30 still in place as we um, finish off the surveillance because we have to do surveillance in those zones Mm -hmm. round about the infected premise and to be happy that there is no um, unspotted virus in kept birds there and then the zone can be lifted. So for people in the protection zone, the housing order remains in place until that protection zone is lifted. Great. So it's a case of people within those zones just to keep keep an eye on, keep checking when the surveillance is discontinued yes. and when the birds can yes. go back. Great. Thank you. And, and I should say, sorry, it's no? particularly difficult. So some of those zones, um, we have to go on... Some, some people are in <clears throat> multiple zones... Um, because of the level, you know, there was a number of infected premises all relatively close by, and so there's overlapping zones. We have to go by the last date of the last zone put in place, not the first one. So that's why some that may have been put in place um, a wee while ago 
you know, have gone into a zone a wee while ago or still in a zone because one of the zones might be lifted, but the last one that was put in place is, is still live, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, so it's important for people to keep keep yeah. refreshing yeah. their knowledge on that, definitely. And is there... What's the feeling among producers about letting the birds back out? I mean, I'm sure it comes as is welcomed by producers and bird keepers that the birds can get get back outside. But after what's been quite a, a devastating outbreak for the for the last couple of months and years, I can imagine there might be a bit of nervousness for the birds to go back out again. With the risk is still low, but it's still there. What's the do you know what the general feeling is among producers? much as you describe I think that um, for a bird welfare for those birds that the setup is that they um, are free ranger can go outside live outside and mm-hmm. um, then it's positive you know and, and people are pleased about that because uh, um, it's better for bird welfare and for those selling free range eggs and things those eggs can go back to being recognized and labeled as free range and yeah. um, but indeed, that, that there is nervousness because the virus, there still is a risk level there. And that's why we're, we have the prevention zone in place continuing and um, ask for those ongoing biosecurity measures. And there is the option to continue to house voluntarily if you want. You know, you can make a commercial decision if for some reason you feel that there's greater risk um, on your premises than other premises. Maybe there are um, standing water areas or something that you can um, manage um, as effectively as you might want to. Um, so there are, you know, p- people can have the option to continue housing. But what I would say is I think we're all watching closely. Um, those of us, you know, uh, in APHA and government um, industry, um, our, our wildlife colleagues as well, what will happen over the summer um, and the levels, as we discussed, the level of virus that will remain over the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's watching that closely and we will continue to undertake our risk assessments um, on a regular basis and publish and update industry specifically on that ongoing risk level. Yeah. And thinking of what you said before about the the virus oversummering for the first time and the severity and longevity of these outbreaks only getting more and more how are we at risk of bird flu becoming endemic within the uk um we we don't consider it endemic yet because that was the last summer was the first time it oversummered mm-hmm. in our own wild birds um, but what happens this summer um will be pivotal and critical around that whether we think we will have ongoing um, level of infection and spread in our own wild birds on a regular basis all year round. That, that is what will decide whether or not um, it has become endemic. Um, and, and a lot of that will depend on the immunity that they have developed and the immunity in ongoing generations. Um, and that is something that the FluMap project um, yeah. that we are supporting financially and the experts at APHA are involved with is looking at understanding more about how this strain of virus is um, transmitting and surviving in wild birds and the immunity that those wild birds develop. Because as, as we described earlier in this conversation, that is critical to then the risk exposure of our kept birds. Um, and when we understand more about that, then we'll all know more about what what the future 
future challenges for keeping birds are. Yeah, great. And with that in mind, what steps are industry and, and government taking to protect the UK's poultry industry from further outbreaks? Um, I understand that vaccine trials are, are taking place globally. Is Are we any closer to that becoming a solution uh, in the fight against bird flu? So there's a lot of questions in the vaccine space that need answered before I can say how close we are and is it going to happen. Um, We are working jointly with industry. This needs to be a a joint discussion um, when we set up a a task force on vaccination. Um, We need a vaccine that is effective, that gives really good protection, um, rather than one that protects birds and makes them less sick, but actually they're still infectious and the virus is still spreading. Mm-hmm. Because that would mean then that we could have undisclosed infection out there, um, which is not good for monitoring the virus and seeing how it's changing, and it's not um, good for trade either. So we're looking at, and, and uh, with our science colleagues and jointly with industry, but what, what would an effective virus be? And that, as she referred to, is some of the work that's going on globally about current available vaccine strains um, and just how effective is protection um, from them. Then we need to think about um, distinguishing between infected animals or uh, birds that have been infected, which we would still have control programmes around, and birds that have immunity because they were vaccinated. And because trade partners and indeed ourselves would want to know and be able to distinguish absolutely so we can take disease measures where there is virus, um, we'd want to know um, that that difference between um, the naturally infected birds and the um, vaccination immune birds. And then we need to work out, you need to be able to give, you know, operationalise giving the vaccine um, and how you do that in different bird types um, and make it practical and feasible for people to do. And then there is the discussion about trade and what level of surveillance you need to do to confirm to trade partners that um, immunity is indeed from vaccination and not from um, live uh, infection virus going on. Um, And surveillance... Um, depending on the levels required, has the potential to be quite costly. And so that changes the whole cost-benefit discussion around um, the um, vaccination as a whole. So there's a lot of ongoing questions. There's a huge amount of discussion, um, both in the UK, but globally. Um, The World Organization for Animal Health is leading discussion on this. We're discussing with our um, quads colleagues, so that's uh, particularly US and Canada, and their industries about vaccination. So it's very much a live discussion, lots of unanswered questions, but working very hard to answer those and and then ultimately come to a decision. Is vaccination um, going to be really helpful to us or not? I think it would remain as it would be a tool in the toolbox though. So we wouldn't say, oh, you'll vaccinate and you never have to think about biosecurity again. Biosecurity will always be the really critical measure. Yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds like it's not just a case of getting a vaccine and it's not just as simple as that. And and within the meantime, no, I think it's clear that the message from talking to you today is bird keepers really need to remain vigilant and biosecurity is going to be key 
going forwards against this virus. Yes, and, and what we have been doing, and I found is really useful, so very resource intensive, both for us and industry, is is wor- working um, with keepers and businesses and their private vets to understand the particular risk factors around their premises. Um, so some of it is about location and uh, where it is in relation to uh, wild bird populations and standing water and things. And some of it is about, um, you know, whether you have staff moving between different sites, vehicles, um, uh, uh, thing, you know, age of buildings, building type, things like that. But there are, we find that there are particular things in different businesses um, and different premises that may um, increase or reduce your risk. And being able to understand that at business and premises level is really important. Yeah, so for producers and bird keepers, no matter the scale or the size, to carry out your own risk assessment on your own premises yes, is really and, important. And there's more and more being published in that. So there's um, a checklist that industry have for this and some really good guidance um, that's really helpful to people. Great. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Christine. Um, I think it's been really important to to spread the message and for people to understand what the current situation is, why these the housing measures have been lifted and, and what producers need to do going forward. Um, so thank you so much and hopefully the risk level continues to reduce and our birds can, can stay out for the foreseeable. But thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you for the opportunity to talk about it and uh, to share the messages with people because we know that, you know, how interesting and critical it is for people to understand what's going on. And that's it for this week's episode of Over the Farm Gate. If you've enjoyed listening, don't forget to hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Until next week, from all of us at Farmers Guardian, thank you for listening. Listener.